Welcome to the Meltzone Podcast, where two Germans sit down for an hour and talk to each other in English. It is uh, January the 8th or something, 2020. This is episode 28, and I'm Tom. And guten Tag, I'm Stefan. <laughs> this is weird if we're not switching cameras. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and also welcome to the Meltzone Podcast, the first one of this year, 2020. Uh, we talk a little bit about the end of the year chaos, why maybe this episode was a little bit delayed. Uh, Tom moved into a new studio space out of yep. his like um, own apartment, or not own apartment, but out of, my basement. out of your basement into like a real studio where I really envy him about. Um, on the news section, E3D has unfortunately still a couple of issues with their new Hemera uh, extruder. Uh, some of the gears started cracking, um, not too many, but still another uh, production problem that they're currently having. And uh, we talk about how they are handling it uh, currently and uh, yeah, what maybe the reason for that was yeah and sticking on the topic staying on the topic of e3d we have teflon lined versus all metal hardens is there a better one as always no there is not uh we talk about which one you should in which situations and when not to use uh either one for questions this time uh comparing ptg versus abs where does asa fit in is it better worse Again, uh, what are our opinions about the material? Question uh, from Laser: Should we, should he buy an AnyCubic machine or try to build a CoreXY? We talk about what the what the experience is like buying versus building. And for the last one, harmful fumes in 3D printing, filtering them, venting them, and preventing them. Oh, that was a good one. <laughs> uh, okay. Don't think we've ever been this physically close while recording a podcast. This is this is kind of weird. <laughs> well, on the drive home from Murph, we're at least sitting next to each other. But yeah, but yeah. we're more like this. Yeah. <laughs> we are quite quite close together today, and we are actually currently sitting in the real like CNC ah, kitchen. Yeah. <laughs> we're below your studio, if I've got the topology correct here. But we're in, in your in your kitchen. I I came by for a visit, and uh, we've had a very successful day, I'd say. Yeah. Man, it, it went by so fast. So now we're, we're kind of rushing to get this uh, podcast out. First podcast of 2020. That still feels weird to say. Yeah, we had quite a big like delay in between the last one and this one. Yeah, it's the year-end chaos that we've noted down. Like, I don't know. I, I think it's the same for, for almost every creator where the end of the year is just everything rushing to completion. Then there's Christmas holidays, there's New Year's, you hang out with family, mm. you don't have time anyways. Uh, but yeah. Yeah, work's always busy. So like my real work was horrible before, before Christmas. real work? YouTube is... It's like secondary work for okay. me, okay, for you, e even yes. though I might enjoy it more, but at least in monetary terms, uh, it is my second you work. You still got a, a real job, yeah. <laughs> I still got a real job, yeah. And also there, like always, it's it's so busy. And yeah, I, I got to say that I... Uh, 
I, I think we actually recorded one just right before Christmas, but then yes. I was exhausted over Christmas. I was kind of, I don't know, uh, feeling not too well for yeah. for two weeks, had always a runny nose and stuff like that when all the stress like collapses on you after such such a stressful time. But yeah, now we're back. We have been flying airplanes today. Yeah. We I drove your electric car, so it was like the first electric car experience oh, yeah. for myself. Are, are you, I mean, ignoring all the issues I'm having with it, Did did I sway your opinion on actually getting one? I mean, you, you said you you're looking into getting something maybe at some point. Yeah, well, <laughs> was it fun to drive at least? It was really fun to drive it. It is kind of unusual because you don't hear like a motor noise when you yeah. start the car. Um, Wait, do but you otherwise, you have like horribly fast acceleration, <laughs> but yeah. still smooth riding. Um, yeah, even with a with a rim that I actually went into the barrier with, uh, so that that has a bit of a. <laughs> Uh, you know, it, it needs to get what's words? Wuchten uh, yeah. balanced. Yeah, exactly. It still balanced. needs to get balanced. So. Yeah. so you didn't fix that yet? No, I just don't feel like it. I mean, uh, my dad's wife ran into the, the front of the car, so the the bumpers cracked, and uh, <laughs> you know, I've, I've now got a lawyer involved in, in you know sorting out the over promised uh, sales guy um, or over promising, but. Yeah. Uh, Well, uh, we we, we, we yeah. not recommend. We talked I about that, I think, already like one or two times in the last podcast. Yeah. But yeah, for the 250, no, not even like 200 kilometers that you drove, you had to charge twice until you yeah, got was, to me. It was 190 something, 93 kilometers. I, I didn't go the, the full distance. I actually stayed one night, yeah. like a third of the way and still, yeah. Anyways. Anyways, you made it. It was it. Really, great day. really cool day. Yeah. It's already getting late, so probably this podcast's not going to we'll, be we'll try. We'll as long. Let's see if you manage. <laughs> okay. Yeah, so well, end of the year was busy. You you actually moved into a new studio at the yeah. beginning of this year. Of the news. So apparently the new century only starts in 2021. It's uh, like, yeah. because it's still like, don't don't start that I discussion don't know. yeah <laughs> whatever yeah so uh new studio um of course you guys have already seen that um uh, built some absorbers for that some acoustic panels we will also using some here um it's just it's a lot of space it it's like I, I used to be, I mean, we, we we posted a selfie from your studio. I mean, I feel bad for complaining about having a small studio. Your studio is, is absolutely minuscule. <laughs> But um, yeah, it's just going to open up so many possibilities where it's where I'm not constrained by, oh, this is actually a basement room that's not air conditioned or, or humid or low ceilings or just too small. Mm. I really it's envy nice. you because, well, you do now have the space to have like different projects running at the same time and you don't have to like clean up everything before before you can start with something else you have yeah. you can now have everything ordered at one place you want to have your printer I mean, room you have your studio where you can do recording while you work in another room and yes. stuff like that I've, I mean, I've had a separate printer room for a while, which has been fantastic because it's, you know, you don't hear the printer going in the background of a video, of mm. a video. you don't have to plan your prints around when you're going to shoot something. Mm. 
Um, but I don't have like absolute, I don't have like a vast amount of space now. Uh, it's 80 square meters, the entire thing with the office, printer room and studio. So I still have to like manage space. Um, the studio itself, as soon as you put more stuff into it and, and as soon as you put all the, the gear into it, it's not like massive anymore. It's not that much bigger, but I still have the, the rooms that I used to have mm. the basements room, my, um, my workshop, the studio, I don't know what we're going to put in there, but I still have my workshop, all that. The printer room that I used to have at the house is now empty. So I do have a lot more space to work with um, and not just for printers. Like I also mentioned, I, I do want to get like an intern or something, but details when that's ready. What, what about dirty stuff? Not that other tube thing, but... Um... <laughs> Uh, do, will you have a CNC router there? Do you have the space for oh. making making chips and stuff? I like was that? wondering, like, what what tube, <laughs> what dirty tube are you talking about there? Um, uh, um, I, will there be a like a workshop where you can work on wood and things like that? Do you have a dedicated space for that? Uh, that's the workshop at the house, basically. That's okay. for for I mean, working with wood, working mm. with something like a miter saw or a skill saw, something always gonna it's it's gonna cover everything in dust. Yeah. I don't want to do that in the studio or in the printer room or in the office. What why would you do it there? Um, so that's gonna be at the house still. CNCs at the studio. Uh, I I think I'll be able to do like a small what are the the Nomad or mm. uh, what's the one Joel has. The um the uh, Shapeoko or the other one shape yeah Shapeoko mm. is it the Shapeoko or is that is that I don't know Joel has like a Shapeoko something um something like that would fit definitely mm. um like I was asking about backdrops I think I'm just gonna put uh, like one work surface and and drawers like a, a workshop style thing in the background mm. there and that would be a perfect space for that yeah. I really envy you. It's it's it looks really nice. I'm quite looking forward to maybe, yeah, pay a visit you at some point. You're always welcome. <laughs> you're, no, you're not. Du bist, du bist immer willkommen. That that doesn't work. You always you're, you're always invited. You always. You're, I think I think whatever. Yeah. <laughs> God damn it! It's been a long day. Anyways, what what have you been up to? You've been doing taxes. I've been doing doing <laughs> taxes again, like uh, every three months. Um, That has been costing me quite a lot of time. Um, I did, I did quite a lot of filming. So um, there will be the um, gradient and fill video probably. Yeah, Before it's going to be, it's, yeah, it's, it's going to be released at that point. But that was something that I really wanted to finish. Um, I worked on a couple of filament tests. Um, right. I bought myself a vacuum chamber for, Ooh, act for actually for like resin degassing uh, de for, for for casting resin, not the SLA resin type. Yes, exactly. Though I guess you could degas that too, but what's the yeah? That I, I don't that know if it's really necessary. Yeah. 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 Um, for vacuum casting metal, Ooh. but also um, drying filament. Right. So the, the the thing with drying filament in like a food dehumidifier is that filament can get damaged by the uh, temperature because of oxidation of the polymer. Right. And it is costing quite a lot of electricity doing well running that dehumidifier for such a long amount right. of time. It's, it's it's relatively low temperatures, right? Uh, well, it depends on the material. So PLA, you I don't know, you dry it somewhere below the gl glass trenches. 
transition temperature 45 50 right. degrees celsius but if you have a nylon or something like that you go all the way up to 80 90 degrees celsius okay yeah um, nylons you do have to dry well yeah i don't know if it's really worth using that vacuum chamber for that purpose but i thought okay i have it now what could i do with it so yeah. um yeah i'm just currently running a test i have four spools of filament in there and recording the weight of the filament spools every 24 hours and just okay find out yep. how long it takes to to dry those uh, materials and see if it's really yeah worth the effort and yeah. all the things involved yeah, you, with that. you're not you're not heating the filament you're just putting it under vacuum yep. and because water basically turns into steam at, at low pressures at very low temperatures already it, yeah it's sucking it, that it, out it evaporate filament. yeah it, it evapor evaporates um quicker and I kind of, well, I have the values and I kind of lose like one or two grams of weight every day in the vacuum chamber. Oh, that's yeah. for all four spools. For all first. four spools. That li that's like that's two kilos of material in there. That's quite a lot. It's quite a lot. Um, <laughs> and I also want to compare it to like conventional drying in a, in a food dehumidifier. Yeah. Just to see in the end, I guess not everyone has a vacuum chamber, but it might be, it might be a nice tool for a couple of things. Um, so yeah, I wanted to have one for quite a while, and since I do have it now, I was looking for purposes to use it. Uh, but anyways, the 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 more interesting thing, maybe also for you guys out there, is I have finally been working on the lightweight PLA from. Color fab. Um, for everyone who doesn't know that material, it is squish it. Squish it. <laughs> <laughs> um, so what the light lightweight PLA basically is, it is a PLA that has, um, I think it's called foaming agents yeah. in there, and these foaming agents are activated at a temperature of around two hundred and twenty degrees Celsius. And when that starts, um, you get micro bubbles in the material, and you can adjust the density of that PLA um, with the print temperature that you're using. So what you can see in front of you right now is a test block that starts at 200 degrees Celsius. And then every five millimeters, I increased the temperature at first by five degrees and then by uh, 10 degrees steps. And you can already see at 215 degrees Celsius, you see kind of some bubbles and then it's 220 225 you really see that the material turns into a foam yeah, you, you see it in the in the surface texture mostly where, yeah. it's, where it's a nice glass down here and it's 100 percent mm. matte up top and well the thing you end up uh, with is a pla foam that has less than half of the density of normal PLA. So normal PLA has a density of one point I think two seven grams per Something cubic like that, centimeter yeah. and if you print it at 260 degrees celsius this material has a density of uh 0.5 something like that so in the range yeah. of 40 percent of the standard material it will also well it will degenerate uh or not degenerate but the strength values like stiffness and probably also the strength will get down because you have less material but still it doesn't feel like like foam in the end it's still flexible it's still you notice that it's more compliant but it doesn't feel crumbly or something like that what i expected at first yeah um the i think the more fascinating thing to me is that it's the pla when you're printing it at two 
100 in this case, or 210, I guess, would also work. It's it's normal PLA. Like, it feels and looks and uh, mm-hmm. probably tastes like normal PLA. Um, but then as you increase the temperatures, you, you get that, you get a completely different material. And, I mean, you, you said 260 or something. Uh, that is quite hot for a PLA. And I guess you're not getting, like, the absolute crispest, crispest print quality out of it. Uh, simply because it's it's a foam that's like doing yeah. something in the hot end that's like adding pressure not from the extruder but from the uh, foam itself bubbling up. So the thing is um, as soon as the material starts bubbling um, you will not get any crisp prints anymore in terms of when you have retractions there is still quite a lot of material oozing out of the nozzle Um, but to be honest it's really easy to clean up so there are small sits of material on the surface and you can just use your fingernail and peel them off Um, but if you design your parts properly I think it's a really nice material for a couple of applications by the way we we should probably be careful with bumping the table because I'm like I don't think sorry (laughs) if we were blowing your eardrums (laughs) Uh, so what I already did is I printed out the wing of my Messerschmitt 109 in lightweight PLA that's your fully 3 printed one that you already printed in clear PLA exactly yeah so these parts were printed at 240 degrees Celsius with a material flow of, I think, 0.45, okay. so 45%. So same wall thickness, but a bit less than half the density of Exactly. PA. And it, well, it turned out really, really nice. So it has this like matte surface. Um you don't have any leftovers on the surface because they were really easy to remove. Yeah. Um, the internal structure, you, you see the material that oozed out, uh, oozed out of the nozzle. But otherwise, the outside looks really nice. Yeah. And, and it's, it's a complete, so for audio listeners, uh, yeah. this, is, this almost looks like a, a, a 600 grit sandpaper. This is completely matte. And on the inside, yeah, you do see that the stringies and the fuzzies, but it's, it's a wing that... And then to me, it feels like we've talked about this. Yeah. It feels like cloth. Yeah, it feels like a, a spar or a, a wooden cross spar. I don't know how you call that. Ribs, I guess. Cross ribbed uh, wing that has like cloth pieces in between. Um, and yeah, it is it is fairly flexible. Uh, so you probably wouldn't want to fly with this. But... Uh, well, you, you would still have the possibility to put um, carbon fiber spars in there. I think... Um, so the problem before with printing airplanes out of, or especially wings and stuff like that, out of PLA was that PLA is quite a heavy material and the wings and all the parts of the airplane were quite heavy. This gets around of that problem because um, the wings are now really lightweight and by adding a carbon spar in there, you could even get rid of lots of the internal structure that is already in there. Yeah. Which would yeah. lead to really efficient 3D printed airplane designs. And that's that's really nice. Yeah. You basically I mean you do need some internal structure just to hold up the surface into mm-hmm. something like an airfoil. Um but yeah, you could get rid of anything that is just structurally supporting. I mean, even yeah. this channel, I think, uh, because it's generating a wall. Right, this acts somewhat like a spar, maybe? Yeah, definitely. So you could get rid of that and just mm. have a channel on the bottom. Yeah, lots of room for improvement. Is this something that you got inspired because I, I started to bring it up? or um, No, I... I, ideas? <laughs> <laughs> I 
Uh, I got a roll of that, or I asked somebody to send me a roll of that filament quite a while ago, but I didn't get to that. So the thing was, um, the guys from, I think they're called Eclipse on Airplanes, um, they also, well, like design 3D printable airplanes, they got in touch with me quite a while ago, at least half a year or even longer before. And they told me, hey, you should really check out that lightweight PLA from Colorfab. Yeah. They designed an airplane that they printed with a lightweight PLA and also added spars in there, carbon fiber and spars. It's, it's designed for the lightweight PLA specifically. It is. I guess you can also print it with normal PLA, but right. I think the added material, if you use standard materials, um, wouldn't benefit you because the rigidity in that airplane comes from the carbon fiber spars and um, the rest of the material you have there is just added weight. So they used the lightweight PLA to create an airplane that is lighter as it um, used to be before, yeah. but it's still rigid. So kind of nice. Um, well, kind of nice, very nice. <laughs> very nice. And I think it's, um, it's, it's a really great material because it's a bit out of the ordinary because, yeah, we have seen tons of different 3D printable materials over the yeah. last years, which were beforehand just conventional uh, injection molding materials. Yep. But this is taking 3D printing a little bit more to its next level because it's, you can use the property of the extrusion temperature to adjust the properties of the material. Exactly. I mean, the material itself, just being a super lightweight uh, PLA version, already, I think, is, is a great option. But as you demonstrated, you, you can go from just being a, a regular PLA mm. to having uh, a fully foam mm. material. And still, what my vision with that is is um, printing that material on a dual nozzle 3D printer where I print the internal structure of the wing with just conventional PLA and just uh, print like the outside shell of the wing with this lightweight PLA. Yeah. So you, you're printing spars out of PLA essentially and then exactly. you're covering them with a film of, yeah. uh, of lightweight. Yeah. Very, very nice. Yeah. Moving on, um, let's actually go straight to E3D and their... Uh, Hermera. E3D and their... <laughs> no, E3D and their extruders, uh, they've not been having a, a great streak of, uh, of releasing extruders out into the wild. So first, uh, Titan Arrow specifically, I think, not the regular Titan had an issue with the bearing, where the bearing would fail way prematurely. And now Himera is having issues with the pressed-on gears. So Himera, you've, you've seen... Do you, do you have one? Have you done a one. video on it? No, no I okay. didn't do one yet. So you've seen my video on the Himera, uh, where I show you the internal details. And both shafts, both the driven and like, or the, the main and the slave shaft, slave shaft basically are um, multi-part assemblies. So you've got a, a spur gear, you've got the drive gear, you've got another spur gear that engages with the motor. It's a lot of parts on the same shaft. And apparently what has been happening is that the gear that connects both shafts together cracks. So just a straight up crack through one of the gears. So essentially, if that happens, uh, the cracked gear does not engage on that driven shaft anymore or does not engage that second shaft anymore. And you basically get a single drive extruder, whereas you thought you were getting a dual drive extruder. Now, I've had that happen to me on the pre-production Herm 
It was still called the Hermes back yeah. then. Uh, Hermes that I um, that I got, uh, I reported that to E3. They were like, hey, guys, uh, you you probably should fix this before you release it. They were like, ah, yeah, we, we're experimenting with uh, different press fits, uh, and it's going to be fine for the release one. It was not fine for the release. So if we pull up the official um, statement or known issue by E3D, Actually, they had a percentage of how many? Less than 3%. Less than 3%. So that is in their last most problematic batch. Though less than 3% affected is still a lot of people uh, that potentially end up with cracked gears. <sighs> of course, this sucks. This is this is not something that should happen. It does happen. Uh, maybe we can learn something about how to communicate issues like this. Because I, I think they're doing a, at least a decent job of communicating that there is an issue, um, that they're going to fix it with free replacements. Yes, you're still going to have to uh, disassemble and reassemble your Hemera, which is four screws. I mean, it's it's not that big of a deal, but it's, a, it's an issue that, again, shouldn't have happened. And if you don't know about it, I think they could have just gotten away with it. Where it's yeah. like, oh, yeah... And it's kind of unfortunate because I think other than with the Titan Aero Extruder, they had lots of pre-production units out there in the wild um, to exactly make sure that problems like that don't happen for the release units because a a recall or having things like that happen to their production parts is quite a big financial problem. Well, if you if you have to actually recall your your entire extruder and, and get it back and and disassemble it yourself, replace the part and put it into uh, into circulation again as a refurbished part or whatever, that would be horrible. But I think what they're doing is that they're shipping out replacement parts, right? Yeah. Um, so yeah, it still costs money. It still costs very real money to to basically ship out one of the most complex part of that extruder because everything else is injection molded or or um, die cost so uh, that's the actual the core machine part that is costing a majority of the as far as i know uh, it's costing a majority of, of what you're paying for the emirates so yes it, it still stings well and it's well kind of bad for their reputation because it happened with the last um uh titan extruder titan for, for, me, for me once yeah uh, yeah well, um, I when I've read that tweet a couple of days ago, I checked mine. Mine was still fine, so I'm not under right. like three percent. But I didn't use it extensively so far. Um, but yeah, if you have one, you might want to check check yours. Yeah. Uh, well, things like that happen. Um, and- I, I I talked to Sanjay about that. I don't know if that's now in, in internal knowledge, but. Um, things that happen is that tools wear during their use and so if you measure like the uh, diameter of a bore right when you started using that that tool it will be bigger than after that tool had been used for for a a couple of cycles and that can screw up your tolerances if you don't have like 100 percent testing of uh, all of the parts that get manufactured you you can still I guess if you have a a part that cracks, like a gear that cracks, it might be fine when it's assembled, but after a few hours of actual use where mm-hmm. it gets where it sees external forces, it might then just crack because 
when it's just at the verge of cracking and then yeah. you add thermal cycles and all that uh yeah it's i mean a press fit like that or i don't know if it's if it's a thermal shrink process or whatever is something where you do need very tight tolerances mm -hmm. yeah uh, but I guess they have to do that because, you know, it's a very complex part. There are probably some hardened parts in there with mm -hmm. the gears and all. Uh, you can't really machine it in one go. Yeah. So, But, well, I have been to E3D end of last year, and I had the impression that they really upped their their QC procedures, especially for the Hermes extruders. Yeah. So I'm, I'm quite confident that they will fix the issue. I, I would sure hope so. Um, <laughs> of course, as E3D is, is very visible and they're they're shipping a lot of units, 3%, let's say the entire Himera lineup is affected and it's 3% throughout the board and not yeah. just that one batch. Let's say 3% of users, that is still probably thousands of people that, uh, that are going to have that issue. So, yeah, if you see people posting cracked gears, It's three percent. It's it's not non-significant. <sighs> Anyways, but yeah, handling it, communicating it, it's it's a. Uh, I I I do enjoy seeing that. I don't want to say more than that because I'm gonna get uh, labeled an E3D fanboy again. <laughs> uh, well, shouldn't. aren't you Prusa Shill? Oh yeah, that too. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, so I do. It sucks that it's happened. I do enjoy the way, or, or do appreciate the way they're handling it. it happens. Happens. Maybe. Maybe. Yeah. Whatever. Okay. Let's move on. <laughs> I think the next topic is already like the topic of the week, isn't it? What's What's our topic of the week? Uh, pick, pick one. Pick one. Uh, so what I su suggested was because I also had issues was uh, discussing the difference between a well teflon lined hot end versus a full metal hot end yes okay so <laughs> here we go so i i think full metal hot ends are quite hyped and many people see like an upgrade to a full model full metal hot end as a upgrade they definitely need to do But is it always beneficial to have a full metal hot end, or is the usual style of hot end that you see in most Chinese printers, where the Teflon tube goes all the way down to the nozzle, beneficial? So um, let's start out with, uh, I, I guess, with, with a bit of a setup here. You can get really good all-metal hotends. You can get really crap all-metal hotends. You can get really good Teflon-lined hotends, and you can get really bad Teflon-lined hotends. Um, I think the the Creality ones in particular are some of the worst, worst ones, worst, worst ones. Yeah, they're they're not they're not great because they're actually using the Bowden tube to feed all the way down there. So if you don't have the Bowden tube inserted mm -hmm. properly, then You actually have a gap at the end of where the the, um, the Teflon tube actually butts up against the nozzle. So upgrading from that, probably not to a bad all-metal hardened, but to a decent all-metal hardened, I think that's something you you, you would be well, you, you probably should do. Mm -hmm. so, so what but, what what are the issues but. you can have? with an all-metal hot end so you you just said that the creality printers they can have issues when 
the Teflon tube doesn't go all the way down to the nozzle. And when there's a gap in between all the time, when you do retraction, some of the material yeah. can get into like, well, the small gap that you're having right there, causing a jam of your hot end. Well, what's the issue with full metal hot ends? So full metal hot ends uh, or all metal hot ends, I all guess, metal. full full metal jacket. Full um, <laughs> the, yeah, obviously it is if they're, so disclaimer, you've had some some issues with some E3D hardens. I've personally like only had issues with E3D all metal hardens, genuine E3D all metal hardens, in like extreme cases where where like the fan failed or something. Um, other than that, I've not had a case where where I've had issues with PLA. But what you're hearing reported, and apparently which is a, a very real thing, is PLA or other low temperature materials in all metal hardens where the heat break. Uh, why, why am I using this? Where the, the heat break heats up so much that uh, the PLA actually starts sticking to it in places where it shouldn't stick to mm. and jams the hot end. I mean, how, how else can a hot end fail? I guess it can start leaking. Mm. And But this is something, what you call heat creep. Yes, exactly. So that's that, that kind of depends on, on how well your heat break is machined if you have a really thick wall which uh, is of course easier to machine because it doesn't break as easily then it does also transfer a lot of heat up towards the heat sink so that that gets pla to stick or you can have surface issues where you've got a very rough internal surface um, because it's not been reamed uh, then of course that that increases friction of uh, like partially melted filament mm -hmm. And those two things where, where filament sticks to the sidewalls, those are mitigated by having that PTFE liner. So you have that liner that well, molten filament does not stick to, and it's also very smooth, so it just slides right through. Mm -hmm. uh, so advantage, I, one, one, thing, one thing I still wanted to say. The, I guess the impression that, that all metal hardens are universally better is because what people usually associate with all metal hardens is that it's a brand name hardened that it's mm -hmm. an e3d or a, a mosquito hardened or any of the other what other brands are there i don't know uh any of the the like highly or, or precisely machined highly engineered hardens uh versus the teflon line ones are usually some that don't require that much effort to get to somewhat print and uh are usually some that are that are very cheaply made, especially mm. if it's like a stock hardened on a on a very affordable machine. Yeah. So that impression that that a, a Teflon line one is is like the the, the lower end option uh, versus the all metal one, I guess gets gets generated by that. But it's also it's also true in a way because the all metal one is more flexible. What do you mean with as, okay, uh, as, it's, as, far, it's more as far as what, usability. What, it, what it can do? It's more, yeah. it's more capable, I guess. So the reason why you would really want to upgrade to an all metal hot end is kind of only when you print at higher temperatures, because the problem with the Teflon lined um, hot ends is that you shouldn't use them above 250 degrees Celsius, yeah. because at that temperature, the PTFE starts degenerating, which is causing like feeding issues and can also potentially it's, kill you yeah that, that's a bit of an issue <laughs> it's um i think i <sighs> some manufacturers actually label their their uh teflon line hot and says oh it goes up to 320 degrees well good luck with that um no but i think the teflon line hot ends have become better when it comes to actually jamming under like 
prolonged high temperature usage. Mm-hmm. Um, because the way that the uh, the Teflon antihotans used to be manufactured was to have a piece of, I think some still are, but um, was to have a piece of, of uh, Teflon that was actually being compressed either by or by some external part. I think the nozzle was involved there too. So you had that piece of, of Teflon that was compressed and as long as you didn't cross the temperature where the, where the Teflon softened too much, mm-hmm. it would work fine. But if you crossed it once, it would just start kink and and, okay. and and jam the entire hot and then it, it was a very weird failure because those hot ends would still print for like a, a few seconds and then jam and it was like do i have dirt in there what's mm-hmm. going on um and with like less tightly tensioned uh teflon liners like in the neutrality hot ends mm-hmm. um you don't have that issue where where the end just closes shut mm-hmm. so they've they've gotten more reliable, I guess. Well, yeah. In extreme cases. In extreme cases. Yeah, yeah. Um, you, you shouldn't use a, a Teflon line one that hot. Yeah, but also an all-metal hot end, if if it is well-machined and the, uh, well, the, 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 the heat sink is properly cooled after the heat break, yeah. it can still perform as well as an all-metal hot end, uh, as, an, as a Bowden hot as a Teflon-lined hot yes. end. So, yeah, all of the Prusa printers, they have all metal hot ends in nope. there. Uh, Prusa Mini has a... Oh, okay, sorry. Mode. Yes. I, I have to uh, rethink the Prusa lineup uh, now since the, the Mini I, is out. I, I think so, right? Yeah, yeah. it does. Um, I'm wondering, I think the Mini is still able to print at 260 degrees Celsius because I think uh, they advertise it for, for ASA. I, I'm not sure. i got to check that. But anyways, um, yeah. so... The Prusa printers that I have both have an all-metal hot end, and I didn't have any jamming issues with PLA yeah, for the last three years. So um, if the setup is all right, it can definitely work. But if you are only printing PLA, it might be beneficial to just use a Teflon-lined one yep. because it usually causes you less, less issues. And it's cheaper. And it's cheaper. Even if you compare, like, the E3D options, they have the Light 6 and the V6. Yeah. And the Light 6 is size-wise pretty similar and performance-wise, for PLA at least, yeah. pretty similar, I'd say. Um, and it's definitely line and it's, yeah. what, 20%, 30% less yeah. expensive? So so the E3D V6 Lite is the Bowden version of the, or the Teflon line version of it's, the It's uh, It's actually V6 called the, the Light 6. Light 6, okay. Uh, Googling while recording a podcast that is always fun to watch, so please <laughs> apologize. But uh, ah, please, please six, take right. my apologies. But so, oh, that is actually twenty-five pounds with uh, British pounds uh, with tax for the light six, and then the V six is fifty-one. Wow, that's half as much. Okay. Okay. So, um, yeah, that does that does make quite a difference. Mm-hmm. Well, maybe also one of the reasons because the heat break isn't is way easier to machine. Yes. Um, also, there are options for titanium heat breaks now, or there have been for for quite yeah. a while. But for the V six, for the V six, for the all metal ones, they're also selling uh, titanium heat breaks. The advantage with titanium instead of the 
our stainless steel heat break is that the titanium they're using has a thermal conduction coefficient is that the right word conductivity conductivity yeah. which is half of the one of um, stainless steel hmm. so you shouldn't get that much heat creep heat creep you could use a small heat sink yeah you could uh, if you if you want to stay at the same amount of cooling yeah uh, and it's stronger is it, uh, yeah, it, is it, it, it the it, same it, wall thickness it, though? It, I guess it's the same wall thickness. I, okay. I would need to check, but I guess it's the same one. They are already, right. I think, down quite low to the wall thickness in really the part where the heat break is. Uh, if you compare, or, but if you compare it to the mosquito hardened, like that's that really has small uh, walls. But Which the explains... thing with the mosquito hardened is that they're using surgical tubing. Yes. Okay, so yeah. they don't machine this small section. Yeah. I think that's a smart move. It, it's why, definitely why, smart why move and tubing when you can buy it. Yeah, and looking at one of the V6 hot ends, um, which have been around for for years, they do look kind of outdated. They're quite big now. Yeah. So there are there are some designs that I'm thinking like why what, what what's that new one that's been coming up? The mo mosquito no, no, knockoff no, that is no. integrated in the like a V6. Some, something yeah some some chinese manufacturer yeah. that's uh which i'm like is that's not how you build a hot end that like i said that there are good and bad hot ends in every class um but in general i guess that's the take right that's the take yeah and if you if you want to upgrade to an all metal hot end i don't know don't save like 50 cents by just a a good high quality heat break because otherwise you'll end up with way more issues than you had before. Ah, okay, so you're saying if you're if you're gonna buy a knockoff, if you if buy a knockoff, I don't know, buy at least a good knockoff. <laughs> I think well, Triangle Labs, for example, they have quite decent quality yeah. from China. Or, or I mean, if you want to do like the really cheapo version but still get like almost all the performance well here's the thing so that the only parts that really matter for performance are the nozzle and the heat break yeah. the heat sink you can get whatever shoddy heat sink you want the heater block i guess clamping might not be as good but really who cares uh so if you if you want to save money and get a, a good hot end you can piece together a 99 e3d v6 performance by buying an e3d v6 clone getting a heat break and get a nozzle yeah. So maybe heat a cartridge. <laughs> uh, not not the thermistor cartridge. Yeah. Maybe. Though that does add up. That almost costs as much as light six. <laughs> so, I don't know. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Don't don't buy cheap all metal hardens. If you're gonna buy something, buy buy like a, a brand name Teflon lined one. Yeah. And if you want to print high temperature, mm -hmm. high performance stuff, get a. Uh, does a uh, is there an issue with Teflon line ones with abrasive materials? Um, probably, because I think there's there'll still be a bit of wear. Um, but I haven't tested it out so far. So the thing, what I can tell, we have two Ultimakers at work. And the Ultimakers are, well, Bowden-style printers, and they have yeah. Bowden tubes. From the back of the printer, 
in like a big bow all the way to the hot end. So the filament is always rubbing on that outside edge of, exactly. the, of the tubing. And even though we were not printing any abrasive materials, we had serious issues with under extrusion after like two years of heavy use. Okay. And I changed everything, but I didn't think of the Bowden tubes. Well, you can you can check them if there's no I, way I, to, to look inside them. Yeah, well, I, I didn't see that there was any difference in like look or something like that. But the thing was, as soon as I changed the Bowden tubes, the printer started working again. Hmm. So there might definitely be problems with wear in the in the tubes. But I think it's it's probably worse because it always rubs against yeah. the wall. If it's just going straight down, it might not be that bad. Still, you will it's, have it still like has to like tangentially guide yeah. the filament in there. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it is a it is a consumable. The, yeah. the Teflon anything that's Teflon is not something that's going to last forever. But yeah. And I even have seen, I even have seen all metal hot ends where the heat break part was worn down as much, or the thin wall thickness remaining. Right was worn down by abrasive carbon fiber filament that it wow. just went away. <laughs> wow, so, so you actually had filament coming out the side? Exactly. Wow. Yeah, I've, 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 I've seen that. I'm surprised that was still holding up and wasn't just being pushed down and cracked off yeah. in one go. But that can happen if you print a lot of abrasive materials. Well, if you print a lot of abrasive materials, you probably might also be in the position to buy a proper all-metal hot end. So, yeah. I don't know. <laughs> For sure. Okay, Teflon versus all-metal. I guess that, that yeah. yeah. I, well, the, the, the reason, sorry. <laughs> here we go again. So, yeah, here we go again. So, so the reason why I was, was bringing that up, right. I already said that in the beginning, but I think many are just not aware that there might be even benefits by using uh, benefits of using yeah. a Teflon lined hot end. And this was kind of the v verdict that I want to give. Yeah. So <laughs> both are fine. Uh, Teflon is, has some advantages for PLA. If you don't have like a super tightly controlled thermal envelope or something around your hot end, and all metal just does the higher temp and high performance stuff. Yeah. I'll be a bit more reliable. Let's jump on to questions then. I guess this is going to be a short one. We we are actually doing a short a short episode. How how come? How come? I uh, also under don't really understand. But you still need to drive all the way back home. Yeah. So the first question, uh, well, hope, came in over Twitter. Still open. Yeah. Time it charges next to Media Mark. Do they close? Well, you're paying for them, so I, I guess they're open. Oh right, IKEA charges do do turn off once the IKEA yeah. closes. So yeah. just make sure that you don't get robbed. Well. Anyways, oh, uh, back to the question. So the first question I think came in over Twitter and somebody, I don't have the name oh, yeah, currently sorry, here in, in, in our script, ask, um, I'm just after your podcast seven where you were comparing PTG and ABS. Do you have any chance to test ASA since then? What is your opinion about this material? <laughs> I'm... You know what? I'm just thinking because if they, if if that person is listening to episode number seven now, if we give an answer now, it's going to be like next year until they actually get to, to us responding. But still, so yeah, what's the difference between ABS and ASA? 
We, we both worked with it so far. Yeah, it's a slightly different polymer. It has some some different components. Well, it's a copolymer. It's got different components to it. It's still styrene-based. What is it? Acrylonitrile-butadiene styrene for ABS. And I acrylonitrile styrene... Uh, something, something. More, more acrylic, less butadiene. So the ASAs is lacking that rubbery component, which is the B in ABS, the butadiene. Uh, so it is, it, it's not, it doesn't have that yellow tint to it. If you print white ABS, mm. it always has that that yellowish cream white to it. Um, and ASA is also UV resistant. Just naturally, you don't need to, you, black ABS is also perfectly UV resistant mm. because the the black, the char, the soot uh, colorant they use does absorb mm. most of the light, um, so that's fine. ASA you can do in any color and just put it outside and it's fine. Uh, so what I found with the different, I think back then we we had both printed with ASA already. I don't know, but what what I found in in my printing of ASA versus ABS is ASA. Because it's a less common material, you don't get uh, like the bad qualities as easily. So you don't get like the um, the eSun ABS that is just always soggy and just looks like you've you've printed like putting or something. Um, but it yeah, it it just prints a bit more crisp. The ASA that I've printed with with also doesn't smell as much. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, well, I, I guess the thing is that there's so much ABS that um, there's not one type of ABS, mm. yeah. right? This is the same with ASA yeah. because ASA also is a, a industrial use uh, injection molded plastic. In fact, it's used a lot around cars because cars obviously are sitting out in the sun and are getting a lot of UV. Yeah. So my experience also with ASA was it smells less. It is kind of similarly good or bad printable as, as ABS. And also the properties are quite similar. So yeah. I'm actually currently working on a video comparing PLA, PTG, and ASA to kind of find out yeah. at which point which material has its applications. Um, I, I guess that that was the goal when they... I don't know how, how long ASA has been around, but I guess that the goal was to actually have a replacement for ABS that would be more mm. UV resistant, but retain most of the redeeming qualities mm. of ABS. Um, now, when it comes to comparing it to PTG, I guess the one thing that comes to mind is it's not moisture as moisture sensitive as PTG. Yeah. Um, because you might, you might not realize PTG is moisture sensitive and you often don't even see it. But if you've printed wet PTG, your prints will just crack. They won't like deform before they break. They'll just crack. Like um, it, It's a process called hydrolysis where something happens to the polymer chains when it gets heated up and the water evaporates and tears apart the, uh, the polymer chains. Whatever. I, I'm no polymer scientist. But it's been explained to me that way once. Um, so yeah, ASA I don't think really has that that effect, if at all. Yeah. Or, or much, or if at all. All right. Yeah. Next question. Okay, I thought you were going to read that. <laughs> so, Laser eight three o two is asking a question for the two of you. Laser8302 owns a JG Aurora A5 and he's not 100% happy with, he or she is not 100% happy with it uh, either. 
bind any cubic predator, I guess that's supposed to be, or build a core XY style printer, like a Warren D bot or similar. Uh, 300 to 600 bucks, any cubic is 350 bucks, but you need to spend like 600 bucks to build a proper core XY. What are your thoughts? What are your thoughts, Stefan? Um, I neither worked with the JD Aurora A5 nor with the Anycubic Predator. So Same. I can't really say something uh, in that direction. The only thing I can say, there's quite a difference between deciding, do I buy a hopefully kind of decently working machine or do I print one on my own and source my parts yeah. for myself? Um one is that you have hopefully a tool after just purchasing uh, the unit. The other thing is a project. It can be really, it can teach you quite a lot of wh things. Which which one are you talking about? I am I'm talking about building your own printer, okay, sourcing parts. Cheap printers can be quite a project too. Yeah. So uh, <laughs> and they can even be worse. So. I guess in the end, you kind of need to decide if you're up to like building your own machine and even maybe modifying it to like the printer that you want to have because you are more flexible. But you need to keep in mind that sourcing the parts, your time during building the parts, um, it will take you quite a while. But in the end, yeah. you might learn a lot of things about the printer. But there is even a chance that it doesn't work properly in the end. And yeah. I have had that happen to me as well. Yeah, and it is kind of frustrating if you put all the time in researching, buying parts, mm -hmm. you spend money on it, uh, you build it, and then on, in the end you can't get it to work because of whatever issue. I've had printers that would just randomly stop doing a print. <laughs> like, no error message, just go like, oh, I'm done. <laughs> heaters were still regulating, heaters were still on, but the print just... Yeah. stopped um that can be very hard to debug if it's a commercial printer if it's a even if it's a, an any cubic predator that i don't know if anybody already has if it's an issue with that machine people are other people are going to have that same issue and there, there is at least going to be some sort of a help group um the thing if you're going to diy a printer they're very good open well not open source but but like projects that are common uh, or, or printer designs that are commonly being built. I would definitely go for one where, again, there's going to be a community around it where you can go and ask and, and, and follow some best practices other people have, have tried. Um, because going with like a, an underground hipster printer and just, uh, or, or designing one yourself, you're going to be on your own. Yeah. So that that can be very frustrating, especially when it's a, a first-time build. Yeah, 600 bucks on the low end for proper Quarks Y. I, I guess, yeah, if you get like halfway decent linear rails, if you want to do that for X, Y, Z, you're going to be spending a significant amount on those, uh, plus mechanics, electronics, all that. It does add up really fast and, and the frame itself even is not that cheap if you're building it from aluminum extrusions yeah. so, so yeah if yeah if if you feel like you can handle a build and if you're if you're up for the challenge in fact if you're seeking that challenge explicitly then a build is probably something that that you, you can do or if you really want the maximum bang for your buck and you you, you want to build something then that can be an option but 
Yeah, if you're not 100% certain in your skills as a debugger of printers or a builder of printers, then uh, maybe the pre-built one with an upgrade or two would... I I don't know if the Predator needs any upgrades, but that's what people do, right? (laughs) Uh, Maybe that can be an easier option, I guess. Yeah, indeed. All right. Uh, Last question. Yes. Thomas Jarist. So, yeah. Thomas Jarish. Thomas Jarish. I don't don't know. Yeah, probably. Um, He was asking if we can talk more deeply about harmful fumes in 3D printing. Um, How to prevent them? Uh, What's the best method of filtering, draining them? Most of us have our printers at home and probably not everyone has a dedicated room for them. So he thought it would be nice to get a little bit more insight into that problem. Okay. If you had one tip to give when it comes to minimizing the amount of fumes that you're exposed to, what would that tip be? Um... Only print PLA and PTG. Okay. I'll add to that. Print those at as low of a temperature as you can. Yeah. Because if you look at studies, um, ABS has an enormous amount of particles it emits. Um, Wet filament also has Mm. a a, a disproportionately large amount of of particles it emits. And temperature in either case, whether it's PLA, ABS, PTG, Mm. any filament... Uh, the hotter you print it, the more, I don't know, how, how do fumes get generated even? Is it like small water bubbles bu- uh, water bubbles popping and, and it's like exploding particles I, I out into the air? I think like an evaporative process. Okay. But I'm not a polymer expert <laughs> as well, so uh, I just think they're like volatile parts. Well, if it's, if it's volatile as in Vox, uh, then it's... But then it's not particles. Nah, I don't know. <laughs> Whatever. Well, ma- so, maybe at first uh, we need to distinguish between what different particles are generated. So we have the VOCs, which we, is not particles. It's like it's like it's, it's like still a thing that is produced during yeah, printing. Yes, it's yes, not yes, a particle. It's, it's fumes. Yeah, fumes. Fumes. There fumes we go. Uh, microparticles. I yes. think these are kind of the two big groups. Yeah. Um, Formaldehyde. I don't. I don't think that formaldehyde is a VOC. Is it a VOC? I don't know. Don't quote me on that. Uh, um, but we have. We use two different filters usually: um, HEPA filters and charcoal filters. Yeah, activated charcoal. Activated charcoal is against VOCs, um, formaldehyde, and things like that. And the HEPA filter. And you kind of have to pay, pay attention right there because not all HEPA filters are equal. Um, the really yeah. good ones, they filter out really micro or nanoparticles. Um, I think usual HEPA filters also, uh, only go down to like 0.2 micron or even 2 micron. So still kind of big. Yeah. And so the, the, the particle sizes that you typically measure are PM2.5? And PM10, so that's 10 micrometers. My, micrometers, yeah. Yeah. Not nanom- yeah. And the, the problem with those small particles is that they actually pass through um, through 
your lung into your bloodstream and if they're too small they can even cross the blood brain barrier and end up in your brain cells <laughs> so that's the i think at that point uh it doesn't matter as much what the actual material is that's that's wrapped up in the mm. or that, that the particles are made of but the fact that they're so small and that they mm. get into your body and spread through your body mm. just by breathing them in yeah. if it's just household dust like your nose filters some of it out and it's never going to get through your lung you might cough it up at some point um it's not going to get into your bloodstream so that is that is the issue with uh with particles and vox obviously are absorbed just like uh i don't know that they're absorbed in the lungs too if you breathe and there's no filtering happening in your in your respiratory system that would take out vox vocs uh if i'm not mistaken so both of those are, are bad. I think um, activated charcoal filters actually do absorb some of the superfine particles. Yes, they do. Um, because essentially all that activated charcoal is, it's uh, it's charcoal that's been active. <laughs> wow. <laughs> it's uh, typically, uh, Cody's lab actually showed that. Yeah. So he does it with uh, water vapor that's basically tearing small holes into the charcoal. And those holes are then being filled with... Um, with basically the Vox VOCs or with small particles, it's like a big sponge that is that is kind of grabbing onto those uh, substances that are that are in the air, and only only that's through air or water. You can mm. filter water with it, water with it too. Yes. So well, yeah. Basically, yeah. Um, activated carbon does filter parts of the particle uh, if you want to get them all out you also need a really high quality HEPA filter but I think a good yeah. start would already be um, a carbon fiber filter if you have an enclosed printer it the, might be a good idea to just add one at the exhaust yeah the again the, the, the best parts to avoid particles is by not generating them yeah um, so those three tips print cool print PLA print dry filament uh, those and then look into filtering now what about venting them draining them uh, how you mean with venting them outside yeah i guess that's that's what the what the question also has in here what are the best yeah. methods for filtering or, or draining yeah. i guess that's that's venting them um so what i usually do if i print like abs or something like that in my office and i usually do that overnight when i'm not in there and when i get back into my office i just open all the windows hold and your breath <laughs> hold my window <laughs> open everything up and just like oh, vent it outside <laughs> um this is what i'm doing um yeah if you have an enclosed printer you can directly vent that outside i even thought about purchasing um a grow tent that is used by the happy cigarette industry I thought that was for for like hydroponics and growing your own your own tomatoes. Tomatoes and stuff. at home. Um, you might be mistaken there. Mm. Uh, so the thing is, they also have really like high power activated carbon uh, activated charcoal filters in there. Yeah. Um, so you could just put your printer in there, close the tent, and like vent the inside directly through one of these uh, filters. Yeah directly um 
some printers uh you aren't, could aren't those aren't those enclosures heated too usually you could use those as a as an act it's, uh, it's perfect heated, heated abs enclosure yeah oh, so oh. grow tents and uh, just don't tell the police <laughs> what if i want my tomatoes to to turn out nice and your your strawberries in the winter yeah. time Exactly. <laughs> uh, yeah, th this can be an option, uh, but still, in the end, I would definitely try to avoid like printing in areas where you are like sleeping, yeah. where you're staying really long amount of times, where you have kids near there and stuff like that. that that's even for PLA. That's like, even I... for PLA. All all three D printing materials emit fumes and particles. Yeah. Um... I don't know if I'm if I'm just imagining that, but I feel like if even if there's a PLA printer in the room with me, even if it's a decently mm -hmm. sized room, I can still start feeling my throat kind of uh, get rough. And uh, I don't know if it's such again. I don't know if that's me imagining stuff or mm -hmm. if it's a real effect. In any case, if you can smell it, there's probably something in the air, and even if you cannot smell it, there might still be particles because not your nose doesn't pick up everything. You're not a you're not a, a search dog, so. Yeah, human noses aren't that great. Yeah. Just be safe out there. It's I don't think there's ever been an uh, an issue yet that you know was was uh, tracked back to being caused by 3D printer fumes, but you know 3D printers haven't been a lot around for that long. Yeah. So if you expose yourself to 3 printers, 3 3D printers doing their thing all day if you're standing next to them for 25 years, it might not be that great. Yeah. yeah. Um, same thing also for, for resin printers. Um, I can't be near resin printers. It's just this disgustingly smelling for me all of the time. So I definitely don't use them anywhere where I'm just like only slightly working. Yeah. Um, for those one as for those ones as well, just use them in a room that is well ventilated, vented directly outside, or or use a filter directly connected, or you could maybe even think about buying one of these room air cleaning systems that have Ooh, HEPA I... and charcoal filters in them. Okay, yeah. Um, so the the Prusa Solomon actually has the uh, has a small HEPA small HEPA filter built in. It does something. Uh, I think the, the Prusa resin by itself doesn't smell that much, mm -hmm. which I don't know if that's good or bad for particles. Again, it just doesn't smell that much. But the filter does somewhat help. You can mm -hmm. still you can still smell the printer going, um, even with the with the activated uh, carbon filter. So it's better than nothing. I did install a uh, home ERV, an energy recovery ventilation unit, in my studio a year ago. That has been fantastic because I've always got fresh air in there mm. uh, and it does recover humidity and um, uh, heat. Mm -hmm. So humidity actually goes both ways. So if you have a, a conditioned space where you keep the humidity down, you're not drawing in humid mm. air from the outside. It's actually giving that off and venting it right back out. Um, so that's been really good. But of course, those ERVs are not cheap. I think I paid like 600 or 700 bucks for mine plus insulation. Uh, which is really compact unit. Typically, you get a whole house unit, and those are much, mm. much more. So, yeah, 
Uh, also for for U.S. homes because U.S. homes typically have ventilation throughout the entire house. Mm-hmm. They have one single ventilation that that pulls air from all the rooms into a central vent and then pulls it through the air conditioning and maybe vents some of that outside. Do they recirculate air? Yes, yes, yeah. they do. Actually, I, I don't think like fresh air intakes were a thing for the longest time. Okay, but they they, they mostly recirculate air. Um, and shove it through a condenser coil of, a, yeah. of an air conditioner and a gas furnace. Uh, so if you have that sort of a ventilation system that draws air throughout the entire house, <laughs> make sure you've got your vents closed um, because at that point you're just going to draw the air into uh, the rest of the house and it's going to just spread throughout the house, which is not great. <laughs> just just a tip there. I wasn't aware of that. I know I know about the... Um, like central heating systems in Germany that also use air instead yep. of hot water. But usually those have a heat exchanger at some point where like the the air from inside of the house gets drawn outside, but the thing passes is, its heat or coldness so, to the intake. So there's there's two things. There's the, uh, the ventilation system that is for fresh air, which is, I think, mandatory for energy efficient houses yep. now, um, at least in Germany. And those don't have the airflow to actually provide heat or cooling. Okay. Uh, because if you look at the, the amount of airflow that's that's um, being pushed through a air heating or cooling system, it is a lot more mm-hmm. than those small ducts can handle mm-hmm. that provide at least some some fresh air for the amount that you uh, that you as a human exhaust in mm-hmm. in uh, VOCs and CO two. So that's not used for for heating, but mostly. The U.S. systems with an air conditioner are just circulating the mm. heat inside the house. Uh, and if you would vent that entire amount of, of air outside, you would lose so much heat, mm. even with an ERV or a, uh, what's the other one? An HRV that just does heat, not okay, humidity. Yeah. Um, because they're only like 80 to 90 percent efficient mm. when it comes to recovering heat. You would lose a lot of, of heat. So, yeah, there's just a small portion of that air being okay. taken outside, if at all. So, yeah. yes. Pretty Whew. good, too. All right. We're in time. Perfect. Just an hour. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, let's do an outro. Thank you all for listening. Thank you all for watching on YouTube. Uh, get subscribed to Stefan's channel, my channel, and the Melt Zone channel. Support us both on Patreon, if you feel like it, or on YouTube memberships, or on Floatplane soon. We might talk about that in a future episode. I've signed up for that. Not live yet, but... Um, I guess. Yeah. Thanks. And goodbye. Goodbye.